is Amanda. And this is Chris. And this is Vocal Perspective. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Vocal Perspective. This is Amanda, and I'm here with my friend Chris, as always. Hello. Hello. And this week on episode 77, we've got my good friend, Lindsay McGowan. We go way back. We've decided right before this call, we won't discuss how many years we go nope. back now because it makes us feel old. But <laughs> Lindsay is now currently an artist on SoundCloud under Eleonora, and she has been a vocalist for a long time, and she's also doing quite a bit of other things out there that are acapella and singing adjacent. So Lindsay, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Good. So we always start with what drew you to vocal music? What drew you to this world? I was five years old when The Little Mermaid came out. Amen. Uh, like we can just like stop the show right there. All right, there it was. Boom. That was it. I wanted to be Ariel. Like I think every kindergartner in 1989 wanted to be Ariel <laughs> girl. And, you know, I sang part of your world like a boss. And then I just, I loved singing. I loved the the freedom and the physicality of it and just feeling like I could express myself. And then, and I did it not even care how I was sounding. And actually I didn't realize that I could sing well until I was like nine when I was like I want to sing in the talent show in my elementary school and then I like auditioned like you're supposed to and I had to sing the song in front of the class and I was super nervous and then people were like whoa you actually can sing and I was like that's news to me so that was kind of the start of that I did so I sang choir all through school I was in a Grammy nominated choir program in high school or no Grammy winner where are you from, Lindsay? Uh, I'm from the northern uh, suburbs of Chicago originally. And okay. so, yeah, the choir program there was really great. I took voice lessons. They had an acapella group for boys. And then I was part of, I was in the very first year of the one that they finally created for girls because it took them 10 years to make girls. And um, hmm. I <laughs> know. And then I went on to college and they also didn't have any acapella groups for girls. And I was like, this sucks. I'm going to not do that. So I founded an acapella group at my college, which is Case Western Reserve University, Cleveland, Ohio, called Solstice. And I randomly looked them up on Facebook and they're still around and they're still- Yes, they are. Get it. That's so great. You know, 20 years later, they're still a thing. That's amazing. Well done. And then, yeah, I went on, I was in a Cal group called Two Weeks Notice in Detroit, Michigan. And then I was in a group, small group for like a year and a half, two years called The Seekers. I was more like semi-pro. And then, yeah, then I ended up moving to Austin, Texas, which is where I am now. And I kind of took up live looping after that. I was really inspired by like Julia Easterlin and her stuff and sort of learned how to do that. I also got really into like improv theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did a lot of the tech stuff on that. So I was doing like lighting and sound for improv shows. So took a, music took a little bit of a backseat. And then thanks to COVID, can't do theater anymore. You know what? I miss singing. I'm going to go back and I'm going to sing some more. And so I kind of got back into it. And I, in the past year, I've been learning about how to play instruments, which is like a new thing for me. And <laughs> like taboo. I know. Like, wait, what? What's a synth? I'd have never seen this before. And I learned about music production. And yeah, that's been my COVID journey for the last year. So now I'm like trying to like write originals and stuff. And it's just been very exciting to get back into doing something that getting back in that freedom feeling and that that physical feeling that I missed from when I was young and I just sang and I didn't care if people could hear me or if I was good that it was just, I'm having fun doing this thing and trying to, that's been my watchword for COVID this entire past year is like, find the joy. If you're having joy in the process, then 
you've succeeded. That's really all you need to do. So many things are just jumping out at me, Lindsay. I'm just enthralled with you. You might be the very first person that when asked about singing in front of people as a child, that they have a positive response, that they didn't have somebody say, ew, like you can't sing. Or I get that all the time when I run up with people who have, you know, I I was encouraged to sing because somebody told me I couldn't when I was younger and I was going to prove them wrong. Like that's way more normal than hearing your positive story. But then to flash forward to now, you might be one of the very few people that I've, we've, we, Amanda even have (laughs) talked to that are just complete silver lining people with COVID. And I just, I want to take a little piece of your bubble and figure it out. Like covering up a lot of other stuff has been real weird, but it's been (laughs) nice to have the escape. You know, I'm just like trying to figure out where, what's something that's been fun that I could get back into doing and, and yeah, having a little bit more free time. Cause I used to actually was traveling before COVID for work. That's what I was wondering, like really like how hard did the brakes hit? for you. you Really hard. I was traveling four out of every five weeks for a job Monday through Thursday. And then I would have my kids on the weekends. So yeah, when I stopped traveling and I was remote all the time, I was like, I have nothing to do. (laughs) It's amazing what happens when you're not in a hotel room most of your life. It's like, whoa, why am I still in my house? I mean, go. we got a dog because like everyone got a COVID dog. Yep. Amanda didn't, but she already had had one. I I did. I got a COVID dog too. You have a cute dog, by the way, Lindsay. Oh, People her. can't see her, but she's adorable. She's very cute. She's a big dog. She's like 115 pounds. She's a huge oh my dog. Goodness. Oh my goodness. So let's talk about, let's, there's a lot to unpack there. Let's talk about live looping because everyone in acapella feels, it feels like everybody wants to do it, but very few people actually pursue it. So Truth. let's talk a little bit about that live looping journey, what you got into and, and some of the experiences you had there. Sure. You know, live looping is so interesting. Cause like the part of the Amanda, I feel like, cause you and I go back so far and we have very similar job, like trajectories on <laughs> that, like live looping honestly came out of me being tired of herding cats. Cause like every group and band I've ever been in, I've been the one who's been organizing and running it. And I just got tired of convincing people. I'll just organize myself. I'm laughing so hard. It's inaudible. Like I I'm just tired of it. So I'm just, I can organize myself. It'll be fine. And then with like technology being augmented, I'm like, Oh, it doesn't matter that I can't sing bass. I have an octave pedal. That's great. And I can just go from there. And like, I can't beatbox very well, but there's a drum machine on my boss RC 50. It's fine. So yeah. So I kind of, that was how I started with the live looping. And then now with when I started getting back into it and getting into Ableton, cause I bought, I gotten for Christmas, like a little mini key innovation keyboard. And I was like, I'm going to learn Ableton. And then I didn't for like three years, like pretty much everybody else who's ever done that. And I was like, I'm going to learn how this application works. And I watched like, there's just so much more stuff on YouTube these days, like tutorial for things that are like way better than they were even, I'd say like five years ago. And I do want to give a shout out to Rachel K. Collier, who is a live looper and uh, artist on YouTube. And she's got a Patreon and she uh, has actually two courses that she teaches about how to do introduction to music production. And she's was just such an inspiration to me because a being a woman and an independent artist b she was also and i mean no disrespect to the other artists out there who tend more on this side but it was so refreshing to see a woman who was more interested in making music than they were in being hot while making music and i understand that that's like i think it's a point well made it's i think i think you can take that many ways but i i totally think i understand what you're saying yeah and it's i know that's a response and it's 
like to a certain extent, it's a marketing thing. And a lot of women feel like they have to be hot in order to like be on YouTube or be on Instagram and put stuff out. And I get it. But the fact that she just didn't give a shit was like really refreshing. She'll perform in like tiger thrifted t-shirts. And I think that's amazing. And so I took her introduction to Ableton course and her Patreon community is so generous and they're so inspiring and supportive of everybody and of her that that was really how like I kind of got my start. And of course they do a monthly Patreon challenge where they have everybody submit a track based on like a prompt every month. And then we have like a big listening party on Zoom and there are everyone around the world. She's from like Wales and we all get on and we like all say like nice things about each other's work. And the first challenge they did the first month I joined the Patreon was the all vocal. Well, I gotta do this now. And so, yeah, that was my very first track that I did on Ableton, which you can find on my SoundCloud. That's (laughs) a really awesome concept for Patreon that like way to create a community because so many, it's just like, the artist will give to you. But that's one of the first times I've heard that the artist is actually creating something for all the Patreons to do together. That's awesome. Yeah, that community is, is super good. I think because they, she like is really big into, she does a lot of vote, like a lot of her stuff is synth heavy, but also very vocal heavy as well. She likes to layer up vocals and things like that. And she talks about like using effects with knobs on her like Ableton push or some of the other stuff. So we're, the community is colloquially known as knob. Wait, wait, wait. Ah! You know what? all the buttons and knobs do what's that you you know what all the buttons and knobs do on on the machine sorry that's so i run live sound which has come up on the show before and oftentimes i run it with my husband or i will go we'll have clients and he'll have been the sound engineer for them and then i will be assigned to that show and we once had a client ask me are you know what all the buttons and knobs do right Oh my God. It's infuriating. Uh, yeah. Thank you. I do know what all the buttons are. Oh, that's something Rachel's talked about that actually, because she, for the most part, she live mixes herself on stage because she has all of her synths running through her audio interface, plus her vocal mic and all of her effects. And you guys on the podcast can't see this, but this is Air Twister, mm. which basically you can MIDI map literally it's yeah. four different banks so you can actually it's 16 times four so it's actually 64 and they're button press and their knobs so like this is what she uses and so i bought one um of basically like how you can put different effects on here but you can also adjust like your monitor mix like i want more vocal i want less yeah. i want more percussion i need more click track whatever it is you need to do and so she just mixes herself on stage because she can and then the sound engineer can do whatever he needs to do but for the most part she's like no i got i got it i'm good i'm a woman <laughs> i don't need nobody else to do this for me here. So many women that get that far, just like, nope, one woman show. I'm going to make myself as independent as possible and not have to rely on you for anything. True. Because sometimes people just, I don't know. I also, I look really young. Like I have a baby face. It's just been my thing. And most people would not believe that I'm as old as I am or that I have two middle school age children. They think I do. And I had them as teenager, which I did not. And the number of times I have been underestimated of like at work or in music, it's like, no, 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 I, I do. Don't, don't, don't tell me things I already know. Please and thank you. Yes, I know what low end is. Thanks. <laughs> and I love that you, I mean, for your job, you, you're in management. So I, I would enjoy watching someone try to underestimate you. <laughs> yeah. I was on a call earlier today, actually for an hour and a half where I had 15 different men trying to condescend to me for that long. And it was just me and one other woman from my team on the call. And I, she only had to chime in twice, but I told her by the end, I was like, I need a drink. This is exhausting. But yeah, they tried. They didn't work, but they did. Well, I'm proud of you. I know that you, you handled it well. This is why Lindsay 
Lindsay and I were drawn to each other. I want to talk a little bit about your time in improv. I talked to many of the guests on the show how I'm a baby to contemporary acapella, but I'm a longtime barbershop acapella singer, two-time international champion in my organization. For us, improv is like the kiss of death. Like if somebody in your group is deciding they're going to improv, like... Who, who knows what's going to happen? So for us in barbershop acapella, improv isn't really a thing. But I can see just now with my experience doing icing with Amanda in Snow Day and having these, having that skill as an improv artist, not only as a performer, but as a sound engineer, even as just a running a theater. Talk a little bit about how that has just shaped you, you know, as a performer. And Oh man, improv. I started doing improv in 2014 and I, I've only taken two classes and I realized really quickly that I hated being on stage actually as an improv performer. It gave me like massive anxiety to do, but the lessons of improv, I found to be so important because this idea of like not being precious and not being afraid of failure like the specific type of improv that I was trained in is with Keith Johnstone at the high style improv and it's the kind that's taught at the hideout theater here in Austin Texas and they have this my favorite thing in the world which I will talk about forever but it's this concept called the failure bow which is when you're in a scene and you're just learning and you screw some screw the scene up or you make a mistake that you're supposed to go I failed and then take a huge bow and everyone gives you a standing ovation that's awesome all the wind out of the your sales of feeling bad about having made a mistake. And then you just get up and you move on and you go do the thing again. And so actually, like even personally, now I know enough friends, so many of my friends are improvisers that like when I'm having a bad day or I screw something up at work or with my kids or whatever, I just go on Facebook and go, I failed. And then I have like 20 comments of people showing me applause gifts, you know, being like, it's okay. You made a mistake. Get up and do it again. It's going to be fine. And it, it, has really shaped me, especially with my music practice of like, it's okay that this isn't perfect the first time. And doing lighting and sound design. And one of the interesting things about the hideout in particular is that they do improvised plays. So they're full hour and a half long narratives, not just scenes or games, but like full hour and a half long real plays with full lighting, full music, full sound effects, the whole thing. And I would do all three, sometimes all at the same time with the cast. And I was as much going back and forth and yes, anding with the actors, you know, as they were with each other. And so having that group mindset, and honestly, it's so similar to acapella, I feel like for me, because it's not about what you personally are doing, but what the whole group is building together. So having that real collaborative aspect, even though I'm adding something different than like an actor would, what I'm doing is still valuable and I'm building up this world also taught me like how to do live sound because I had to understand how the soundboard worked to like get stuff correct and that was pretty great but also like picking like the right song for the right moment and how to build tension and pull it away and so like that really heavily impacted my arranging abilities as well just there I don't know I love improv everyone should take an improv class I will die on that I agree. I was just thinking to myself, I, I used to use improv to teach a lot more than just improv, mm -hmm. right? Like I would teach improv for social skills, you know, or for situations for conflict resolution, you know, but then on top of it, I would use improv just to get somebody to get out of their head and to listen to somebody else for a second. So I'm like, I liked how you said the whole, we're not precious, you know, like we're <laughs> not, it's not just about you, what you're doing. Like there's a whole, there's a whole world out there in your performance as well. It's not just, you know, your group that you're with. You're, you've got your members that are right there, but it's just the whole room. 
thing. So I think from like working in the shows too, it gave such an insight into what audiences respond to because one of the other things the hideout does pretty regularly are improvised musicals. So they're not just plays, but they're fully improvised musicals with a band sometimes or a pianist or whatever. They did a show called Grand Misery, which was like improvised Les Mis, and it was literally sung through the whole show, hour and a half. And I'll be honest, half the cast could not actually sing. And you know what? It didn't matter. The audience was like, this is amazing. I'm watching this magic trick and they're literally making songs up on the fly for an hour and a half. And nobody cared that they weren't in tune or that the harmonies didn't make any sense. And so like the element of showmanship that that taught me was just like, it's okay. It doesn't like, I feel like acapella in particular, and now I'm going to be very controversial, so I'm sorry, but no, like- get it, get it. I hear where so, you're going. So far- away from heart into technique that it it like it breaks my heart a little bit of like okay that's cool that you can belt that high and do that crazy riff but if I don't feel anything from your song then I don't care yes and so I worried for so long like oh I don't have any good theory background I can't play piano I don't know what jazz chords are you know what who fucking cares Sorry, you can bleep that out. I don't, it doesn't, it doesn't matter at the end of the day. Did I perform it well? Was I expressive? Did I get my point across? Then hooray, I have done my job as a performer. Yep. You know, I heard live music in a restaurant setting for the first time this weekend and they weren't very good. I mean, as guitarists, they were decent. As vocalists, I'm pretty sure they sang the same two notes the entire set that I heard. And I didn't care because it was just so nice to hear live music and so nice to watch people perform and enjoy what they were performing and really get into what they're performing. And I was like, I don't care. This is lovely. And I think, Lindsay, you touched on something about seeing what the audience reacts to. Oftentimes, the audience doesn't react to perfection or even... They might not even react if it was a solid, awesome performance. They might just clap and everything's fine. But you might do something that's a little edgy or you might have pushed the limits a little bit and felt like you were riding the the edge and it might have gotten them lit up off their feet. We don't, you know, just you don't know. I think it's important as a performer that we just let ourselves experience because I think going back in, uh, man and I always end up kind of coming back to this. What's it going to be like when we all get back out there again? Because it's been a... It's a huge culture shock that we've all had. And I think we're going to want to get out there and put the very best product that we have and put the very best face forward. And we just need to remember. There's going to be happy. You're enough. Yeah. Everything you do is enough. And it's actually more than enough if you let us take that journey with you and go on that ride with the imperfections and all. It's that, I don't know, in performance and in theater, the most dramatic thing is change. And like reading a lot of Brene Brown recently, but it's all about like sharing that vulnerability and that ability to make a connection. And I feel like if you over academ put from the academy like I think of like vocal jazz a lot of times is so like from the academy and it has to be so perfect when I feel like that's the antithesis of like what jazz is supposed yes. to be <laughs> so true that you know it's about it's about the feeling and it doesn't if it, the more perfect it is the less you can connect 
Absolutely. That imperfection that draws us in, that ability to be vulnerable, hearing your voice crack because you're so emotional in your performance is way more effective than hitting that high note perfectly. Right. And I feel like we've kind of gotten both ends of that during the pandemic where you get people that are just so excited to see that people are trying and it really doesn't matter what it sounds like. But then on the other end of it, and I know I've fallen in this trap too, is like, well, I'm recording for a box video so I can record it 30 times to make sure it's perfect. Perfect and I'm super happy with. But who knows? I probably look completely dead and joyless by the 30th. Yeah. And I feel like I've sucked a lot of my own personal life out of things because I'm just like, oh, well, I can do it again. Yeah. You know, I personal challenge has been to do it on the first take or to be happy with the first take. That's been some of my challenges for myself. So one of the reasons I was like, hey, we should have Lindsay on the show now, even though you've, you've been on the secret list forever, was that I saw that you you are doing some production. You did a project that is being featured. Can we talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I was very honored to be included on this thing called Four Producers, One Sample Challenge by Ile, who's a music producer out of Vancouver, I believe. And she's actually a knob twister. So she's actually how we met was on Rachel K. Collier's Patreon Discord channel. <laughs> and it's based off of another uh, YouTuber called uh, named Andrew Huang, who's also great. And you should definitely check his stuff out. But basically he has a thing where he brings in four, three other producers and himself, and they each have a challenge where they take a sample or they use, they're limited to one specific instrument and they have to make a track basically. So that was our challenge was we were given a track. It was a vocal sample by Ile. actually is like her voice. And we had to build a whole track. Now we could use other things if we wanted to in the track, but the track was meant to be based around that specific vocal sample. So I actually like turned it into three different synthesizers within my DAW and made an instrumental with a vocal. So if you listen to it, you can't tell that like 80% of it is a vocal, but it is. And so that was really fun to get to play with that. And also the other women who were involved in that were super talented. Uh, and I was like, oh no, I'm not worthy to be here, but thank you for having me anyway. <laughs> Oh my goodness. That's such a woman trap too. It's like, I don't have 99% of the skills that I think I should have. So clearly I'm not worthy. Yeah. Well, and they're, I mean, they're amazing and they were so nice. And I love the fact that really when you, they always do those four producer one challenge, cause they have like little, so you give a little walkthrough of your track and then they film all the other producers film themselves reacting to listening to your track for the first time. But everyone's so positive. It's all like, Oh, I love this. This drop is awesome. And like people kept, at least on my track, we're like, your melody's so pretty. I love this vibe. I love that groove. And I'm like, those are the things I've been working on. So hearing that response, like to my song of people I really respect was such it was such a, a great way to be supportive and like I felt supported and like I could do this again and I keep doing this instead of I don't know feeling like every time I put something out someone's gonna be like oh you missed that note like nah, sh shove it <laughs> <laughs> Well, and it's so good to hear, like, I love hearing when communities are supportive because yes, competition serves a purpose in, in the arts. However, you know, could we ever really have too much art? No. So why not, why not encourage people to create the best possible art that they can it, it doesn't make your art any less well and and I've I don't know I feel like the competition stuff again I'm going to be very controversial but like a lot of the competition stuff I've noticed lately also is very dependent on like how much money you have and like how much technology is available to you and like as someone who did not grow up with instruments I sang because I was the only instrument I had and I was 35 years old when I bought my first mic condenser microphone like mm -hmm. a lot of people 
I've still never owned like a handheld wireless SM58 and I wouldn't know how to set it up if you asked me, but I think it's unfair that in a lot of cases we're expecting like kids as young as like in high school to be able to use microphones correctly. And like the schools that have those are much more highly advantaged than schools who don't have like people who know how to edit HD video. Right. And have my teacher was like, put the microphone down. You have not earned a microphone. (laughs) We were all like, okay, like he's like, get away from the microphone. <laughs> no. That's how our teacher would have. And he's still teaching. So, or no, nope, he finally retired. So I'm like, I don't know what's going on in those worlds where the, where the teachers are just like, nope. Oh my gosh. I don't even think we had a microphone to share in my high school. So we did, but only have for a pool, Amanda. You didn't even have a pool. No, we did not have a pool. And I was a swimmer. <laughs> there were no microphones. There was no musical theater until two years after I graduated. It was, it was rough because we didn't have the staff and they didn't have the budget to pay someone to, to an extra person to bring them in to, to run it. So we just didn't have it. That's too bad. I feel like I'm still learning things, you know, and I'm I'm happy to be in a place where I'm finding joy in the learning. And that's kind of where I'm at now. Like, I hope when COVID is over that I'm in a place where I can go and perform again. And that's really like what I've been building up to is being able to like come up with some sort of show that I could go perform or video or do whatever. But at the moment, like, it's just like, you know what? It's okay. I'm, I'm just learning. And that, that's great. That's where I'm going to be right now. That's awesome. Beautiful. And I mean, you're in a great place. I know you're not going to be there for much longer, but you're in Austin, which is the funkiest town I think I've ever been to, but so supportive of, you know, the weirder, the better in Austin. It's true. Well, we'll see how much longer that lasts. We got tech bros moving in like a hundred people at it. <laughs> Oh no. No, keep Austin weird. I never really understood that saying until I started traveling there quite a bit. Please keep Austin weird. Austin weird. Yeah. Well, maybe one of these days I'll get to come. Well, Austin will always be home anyway, but I'm hoping like, you know, one dream is like South by Southwest. I'll come back and hope. Yes. I can see it. We'll have tickets. I'll be in the front row. Thank you, Lindsay, so much for coming and chatting with us this evening. I hope that we get to meet in person someday because your energy and your just passion for life is infectious. And I want, I want a little bit. So yeah, I hope we I get want to, what she has. yeah, I want what she's <laughs> having because if I could come out of COVID, even having learned one ounce of what you've learned, I would be lucky. So everybody take a chapter out of Lindsay's book and learn something and find your joy. We will see you next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday.